morning, everyone. God bless you. We'll start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy, Lord. We ask that your presence would be with us, Lord, that you'd bless the Sunday school, the service today, and that you'd move in our hearts, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Go ahead and pull up the PowerPoint for me, Noah. And uh, we're going to look at the timeline that I put together, looking at the future home. As we go forward, um, we're going to just continue to break this down. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paradise begins on earth. God sets it up, comes to the seventh day, he rests, and paradise is there. However, we understand that even in paradise, there was an enemy, right? There, the, God didn't subtract the devil, so it shows from the very beginning his intent and purpose was to bring redemption. And he puts before them two trees, and the two trees represent the test. I've called you to multiply and fill up the earth, all right? How are you going to do it? How will you? multiply and fill up the earth and they fail the test a, a foreign life is injected into that and in that failure everything changes paradise is now lost right and so we look at we look at the the uh, full picture of the curse and we understand the whole universe was put under the curse and we're going we're gonna to look at the scriptures for that, so I don't want to get caught up there. I just want to briefly go through this. Then we look at this paradise being in lost. Now the intermediate heaven begins. So Abel is the first one that goes there. It would be interesting to think about. Abel walks in. Where am I? Where is everybody? <laughs> He's alone. This is not what God's original and is not what his final purpose is to create this intermediate heaven. That, that came about, it's not as though it's a creation. It came about, it's a creation in the sense that God separated. It's the result of the fall. Heaven and earth are separated. It wasn't God's intention for these dimensions to be separated, but because of the fall, they're separated. Now the intermediate heaven begins, and in fact, it started in the heart of the earth, as we spoke about before. It's not until 30 or 33 A.D., depending on what, ca what calendar and what interpretation you go by. One of those years, uh, you, that's when that paradise that was in the heart of the earth emptied out. Now it's in what we call heavenly places, right? Coming soon will be the millennium. Millennium is not the full redemption. The millennium is not the ultimate redemption. The millennium is the reign of Christ over the earth. It's the seventh day rest for the earth, but nevertheless, Christ and the saints must rule with a rod of iron. Why do they rule with a rod of iron? Because full redemption hasn't come in place yet. There's still sin. The full process hasn't come to fruition. That is the new heaven and the new earth. That's where the intermediate heaven ends 
And now there's a new heaven and a new earth. The question people always go to, we understand already the answer. is It's not as though God cre destroys this earth and recreates the new, recreates a new, brand new earth. No. What does he do? Just like he redeems us, he redeems the earth. He does, when he gives us a new body, he doesn't create a brand new body. He takes the elements of this body and changes them into that immortal body. Amen. So, Genesis 3.17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten, hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. It's amazing that the Lord puts this curse in this way. Adam is the steward of just earth the whole universe. God creates Adam to be what we, uh, what we call in English a, go a small God, G-O-D, but really we look at this word, he's, a, he's created to be a mighty one on the earth, an Elohim on the earth, and he is to take dominion, and he's to refill the earth. Doesn't mean he's an object of worship when we say that Adam was an Elohim or a God. If you look closely in the Old Testament, uh, you'll see that angels and human rulers are referred to as Elohim all throughout Scripture. And Brother Branham picks that up and says the same thing. He was a, he was a small G-O-D on the earth, not an object of worship like we think. But he fell. And Brother Branham says he lost his godship, he, lost, he forfeited his godship, he forfeited his sonship, and he lost his privileges as a son of God. And not only he lost it, everything, everything changes when Adam sins. And if we look at this, it's not just the earth, it's not just the ground, it's every Adam Every molecule, every quark, every proton, every neutron is changed. The, the laws of nature are changed. When God created it, he didn't, make this, he didn't create the second law of thermodynamics. He didn't create these, these things that lead to death. Amen. Romans 8.20 says, for the creature, or the creation, all of creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Amen. This is not a science class, but if you look at the second law of thermodynamics, this is when it comes into play. Second law of thermodynamics says in a closed system, everything increases in entropy. Well, what is entropy? It speaks of everything going from order to disorder from the matter and the energy in the system degrading over time. That's, that's what that is. God did not create this in the original creation. That's why I say when Adams fell, God put the second law of thermodynamics into place. Everything increases in entropy. That's why you're getting older. That's why you got to buy a new car. That's why... If you just let everything go in the field, what, is it, what increases? Entropy. It doesn't increase in order. It increases in disorder. 
And that's the same way down even to the molecular level. Things, things get older and weaker. The, ce the cells in our body get weaker and decrease in energy. Even to the very mitochondria within your cell, all of that, it gets weaker and slower. Amen. You know that we get older, right, Brother Luther? <laughs> Amen. Even upon all of this, there is still beauty in God's creation. Amen. And there's still order in God's creation. And people say, well, how, how could God be a good God or how could God be real if there is such chaos and disorder? See the second law of thermodynamics and the fall in the garden. It's plain as the nose on your face. Anyone that would say that is showing their total ignorance, to say it in a very kind way. Because the fact that there is disorder and chaos proves to us that there is something called sin. Amen. And that there's a God who is a judge of all and who judges sin. Right there, it should put a person in fear. This is the result of sin. This is punishment on a world that tends towards sin. Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So again, we look, at, we look at the book of Genesis, in particular chapter 3, and we see a great deal of um, mystery hidden there. There's no physical place on planet Earth that you can find on the east side of a garden that there's an angel, there's a cherubim waiting with the flame of fire to prevent you from coming there back up from 10,000 feet. What happened as a result in the Garden of Eden? God separated his presence and he separated heaven from earth. This is what happened. And so when you see God placing this picture, he drove out the man. He drove him out of the garden. That's sin separating God and man. Amen. Now there's this gulf fixed where we can't we can't pass into the presence of God on our own. He's eaten, he says he's eaten of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's just like God and his angelic beings. They know good and evil, right? They've experienced, they've seen good and evil. And now the man is like us. Let's not, we can't allow him to reproduce his God's own life so that people would live eternally. So we prevent them from coming to the presence of God. We pre prevent them from producing immortal children. So what was lost? Immortality, access to the presence of God, access to heaven. So this is a picture showing us that fact. 
Again, it would be very difficult, as we read at the end, where is the tree of life? The Bible says it's still in the midst of the paradise of God. So if it's a literal tree, then we should find a literal place on earth where this tree is, and there's an angel there standing, preventing you from coming there. I promise you that would be a fantastic thing that we would probably know about. But the fact is, that's not what God is telling us here. He's telling us just what, just what I said. You don't have, you're, not, you're no longer immortal. You cannot reproduce children with immortality. And you have no access to, to heaven anymore. The holy God could not dwell amongst a sinful and unholy man. Looking at it from another direction, Adam had the title deed to all of creation to the family of God. Yeah. What did he do? He lost it. So where did it go? To Satan's hands? Could never. Amen. It went back to the original hand, the creator's hand. And it shows there has to be a second Adam to take that title deed back Amen. by living a perfect, sinless life, shedding his blood, being an innocent sacrifice. And then he could take that book and claim it, and then he'll one day come back to a perfect earth with a perfect people. Christ has redeemed us now. We are, we are now redeemed, but he's not claimed his possession yet. Now, you might differ with that, but just hold on a minute. See, we'll see. See, he hasn't claimed it. See, if he took the book of redemption, everything that Adam had and everything that he lost, Christ redeems back. Amen. Amen. That's from the breach. And he's already redeemed us, but he hasn't took possession yet. He cannot until the time appointed. And then, he will, then will come the resurrection, and then the earth will be renewed again, and then he'll take possession, his possession which he got when he redeemed us, but we'll do it at the appointed time. Oh, mine, we understand this is, this is a process. The seventh seal is the ending of all things. It's even the ushering in of the millennium. And we, so we see here when the, 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 it's at the end of the millennium, then there's the white throne judgment, then there's the new heaven and the new earth. So we have, in, in, a, in one sense, the seventh seal is spanning over a thousand years of time. When we look at it that way, and so the full fruition of the seventh seal coming to totally to pass is when he fully claims his and totally redeems his possession. He's, he's redeeming us now. Redemption is going on now, unlike it has in any other time, because he's descended with an open book. And he's revealing himself, and he's manifesting himself in his bride, Right? But he's gonna, he has to change our bodies still. That hasn't happened yet. And he's got to take possession of earth. He has the title deed, but he hasn't taken possession yet. It's still under Satan's dominion. But soon he will take, take that dominion. Then he rules and reigns for a thousand years. Then he hands the kingdom back to the Father. And then God becomes all in all in the new heaven and the new earth. Again, God does not, as we started several months ago, God does not bring us to a spiritual heaven to leave us somewhere off in the clouds. 
This is, re this is talking about redemption. It's bringing it back to its original condition. In fact, he brings it, not only brings it back to its original condition, but he brings it to its mature condition. Because God's purpose wasn't to leave Adam, and, leave Adam and Eve in a position of innocence. Otherwise, why did he leave the devil there? His, his purpose was to bring them from innocence to maturity. That had to take place. That was God's purpose from the very beginning. And because of sin, because of evil, well, God ordained it this way. If God could have made a better earth and a better plan, he would have done that. But his, his, in order for his attributes to be manifested, there has to be evil. Confronted by evil and sin and, and sickness and fallen humanity. In order for you, as his attribute, to reach maturity, you also have to be confronted with evil and suffering and difficulties and trials because you'll never reach maturity without it. And then think about that further is in the zenith of Satan's Eden that we're living in. And it's hard to imagine that it could get more, but it will. <laughs> As long, it will keep getting worse and worse until the rapture takes, until Christ descends down on this earth and destroys the whole thing with his bride. But in this time where we can't imagine it could get worse, he is perfecting his bride. It's not a coincidence. It's not by mistake. It's not, it's not as though, well, just despite how bad it is, I'm just going to figure it out. It's because in order to reach maturity, you have to be confronted with this level of evil and deception. Amen. Right? It's not a mistake. It's created for you to become who you're supposed to be. Oh, my. That's a whole other sermon. Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution or restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So there first must be a spiritual restoration, but there also must be a full physical restoration. So God spoke of the time where what? He would be fully manifested in his people. That's God's purpose from the beginning. That's, that's the first part of this. But the full part of this is God has promised that he would crush the head of the serpent. That he would destroy the works of the devil. So that means everything has to be restored. Not just you and me, not just the bride. Everything is going to be restored. That's what's promised and spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. We were created to, again, it's the restoration of all things. We were created to live on an earth, not to float through heaven. We're created to have a perfect body on a perfect earth. We're created to take righteous dominion over it and enjoy the glory of God on this earth without end. That's God's purpose. And again, and again following that principle, it's restoration. It's not destruction and recreation. 
where is it destruction and recreation? It's always restoration. Romans 8.19, for the earnest expectation of the creature, the creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature or the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. That is what the ultimate adoption is. We receive now the spirit of adoption, right? The ultimate adoption that we're going to receive is when this body is redeemed. Amen. But go back and, and think about that again in the context is that this creation is groaning, right? How can, how can it be that God destroys this planet, creates a new planet, if this creation itself is the one that's groaning to be delivered from the bondage of corruption? That it wouldn't make sense. To, to say for Paul to write that this creation is groaning, he would just simply have to write, well, God's going to wipe this one out and restart all over again. That's not what he's saying. There needs to be a deliverance. This creation that's in bondage to evil, in bondage to the sin that we are committing, must be delivered and set free. That's why it's not a... a, a, a a destruction and recreation, but it's, it's a restoration. It's a transformation is another way to put it. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Amen. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Amen. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. This very physical body that we're in will be changed. Again, I think what, what, what ends up happening is there's a whole uh, philosophical history that goes into this from the Catholic Church on down. You know, if you look and study the history um, in the early, you know, the the third and fourth century, right around the time of the Nicene Council, there was many philosophers that ran schools of philosophy, whether it be in, in Egypt, in Greece, in Rome, in different places, actually converted to Christianity. But they didn't repent and leave their philosophical school. They turned it into a half philosophy and half, half theology school. And so, what these people did, and you can see that as you read the early, the, the church fathers, is they tried to amalgamate Plato and Aristotle into Christianity. And so this, the idea in philosophy is that uh, that which is incorporeal, or what we would say spiritual, is good, and that which is physical is evil. And so this, this Platonic principle of good and evil 
compared with physical and spiritual, that understanding started to grab hold in the church. And as, as you fast forward into that is the idea that heaven will be an incorporeal place, a spiritual place. And so this idea comes along, and so the viewpoint became that God will merely destroy this earth completely and will live in a truly good place, which is only spiritual. And we won't, either, people don't have bodies and all these different things. And that's why you see Brother Branham saying, I always was scared to go to heaven because I thought I would just be a little cloud, a little spirit hanging there. And so, and of course, popular media uh, adopts this idea, puts it in the form of cartoons. Then this idea starts to impact our minds and we think heaven is some otherworldly place. That's not what God created. There's no picture of that in the Bible. From the be at the beginning, he says there's an earth without sin. If you, if you want to understand what heaven is like, picture this earth without sin and without evil, without pain, without sickness, and without sorrow. This beautiful, I mean, it's so beautiful. We go, you go different places, and you're just in awe of how beautiful this earth is. Just fathom what it would be without the second law of thermodynamics. Just fathom what it would be without a devil tempting you and hurting people and bringing sickness and sorrow. That is what the earth is. And so that, many of those things is, is this popularizing of the Platonic mythology passed down through Catholicism and the Orthodox Church. It has created this idea, especially for young people, heaven is boring. We just, we just sit in some uh, boring place and stare at the wall forever. I mean, it's like this is so far from the reality. God made us to move. God made us to work. God made us to enjoy his creation. He gave us all things richly to enjoy. If he did that now, even under sin... Just imagine what it is without sin. And, and God, God didn't create us to be sad and sorrowful. Now, godly sorrow leads to repentance. So if there's sin in your life and you need to repent, understand there's going to be sorrow through those things, and there's going to be sorrow. Jesus, Jesus promises us that. But the human heart wasn't created to be unhappy in the beginning. God takes and harnesses that unhappiness and that sorrow to accomplish his plan and purpose in our lives. But with that said, he didn't, that's not his original plan, and that's not how he's going to finish it. We are, we are going to a place of joy. We're going to go to a place where our bodies will be able to move unlike anything we ever can imagine. And I'm getting way ahead of myself, but it's, it's hard not to. You know, we're going to be at bodies that can fly through the air at terrific speed, Brother Branham says. We'll be able to pass through a wall. We'll be able to, just by our thought, be in, one, be in another place. Amen. It's hard for us to comprehend these things. I guess it's a little easier if, you, if you've read any of the Marvel comics, but um, I hope <laughs> I don't encourage you to do that. Amen. But uh, the, these different things that we, we see that people imagine in their minds is actually going to be a reality for the saints of all ages, being in, 
in, in bodies that are uh, impermeable to harm and damage. And it's, it's things that we just can't fathom, can't comprehend. And he made our bodies to move. He made them to work. And he made it to be a place of joy. Amen. You know, um, young people often think it's a boring place. I think we, ha- we really have to get that out of our minds. I think the number one problem is, is that we miss the fact that even our worship services should be a place of just so much joy. So much rejoicing. Just let go of all the fears and worries of what other people are talking about. Even, even our worship shouldn't be just this boring, stale thing where we're chanting out whatever uh, form that we're supposed to be chanting. It's like really understand what God is doing for you and that the creator of the universe loves you I mean, what, what kind of joy should that create in our lives? I mean, let's stand and pray. I don't know how many screens I got through, but I think I have 170 some, and I probably only got through maybe 15 or 20 this time. So we'll just keep going <laughs> by his grace. So, Father, we just come to you, Lord, and we're so thankful for your promises, Lord. We're so thankful for the, for the joy that it brings to our heart, Lord. Amen. We're so thankful, Lord, for your presence with us now, Lord, which is such an uh, assurance of our eternal inheritance. Thank you, Lord. We ask your blessing upon each one, Lord. We ask your Holy Spirit would move through the, the worship, through the preaching of the word, and that you would be glorified, Lord. Move every demon power out of the way, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can have free course in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.